Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. for a lot of you in that the Knicks have a couple of games left that do not mean anything for ping pong balls for them or the standings. It's just a couple of, I miss this feeling. I miss those late, late nineties. Like they're playing Charlotte. I don't need to care about that game. So, and the Knicks look good, relaxed. They've won five in a row. Second longest streak in the league right now. They have two games left Friday night. They will play the Pelicans in Louisiana and then they will finish the regular season Sunday against indiana expected to begin the playoffs i believe the following saturday against the cavaliers but before we get into all the good stuff let's get into the capitalism bet online remains your number one source for all your college basketball betting this season college basketball is over but this is still the ad get analysis of every play prop and point at bet online you'll find the latest odds bracket contests team matchups and game trends at bet online Updated odds for everything from live games <coughs> right through the Final Four and the championship game. I suppose at this point, if you want to bet on whether or not, if you want to bet on anything in college basketball, you'd probably be betting on whether or not LSU will actually attend the White House or not. There's not much left, but whatever's left, I'm sure Bet Online has you covered. They are your college basketball headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus, betonline.ag, where the game starts. And we have a special guest today. We're very excited to have this individual. I, myself, for a number of reasons, am pumped, not the least of being, I'm very stupid with people's avatars, and I take them seriously. For example, at the Strickland I don't know who the fuck anybody is in our Slack because everybody has a fake name and I don't care to figure it out. So literally these conversations go on and I have no idea who they are. Bob Sayeta might be a character from a movie. I wouldn't know it. So for a long time, I thought this person was named Bob Sayeta. But this person, who I will now properly name, you have read their work at The Daily Beast, Deadspin, HuffPost, Politico, ESPN, New Republic, Vice, and... The New York Times, the rare writer, just as gifted, riffing on Tim Hardaway Jr. as Tim Pool. Welcome to the program, Robert Silverman. Robert, how are you today, sir? I'm good. That was the best intro I've ever gotten. I want to bottle that and drink it with breakfast. That was awesome. Thanks. We so have no much. no money to invest in anything else, so we pour it all into our intros. Tim Hardaway oh, Jr. That's... and Tim Pool was a bar. I got I can't lie. That was that was great. That was awesome. Well, that's all, you know, there's about an hour yeah. left, so it's all downhill from here. Um Excellent. Robert Silverman, the big story, I mean there's so many stories right now in Ignatian. There's the matchup with Cleveland. There are possible late-season awards, but I'm struck today by a pattern that I have seen at least twice. I don't know if I can go as far as three times, although there is, I think, a connection to a third player, but I've been very struck covering the last couple of Nick games that since Julius Randle had to sit 
with his his ankle injury. The next, obviously, are they've plugged in Obi Toppin. They're playing a different style, and they're also playing a different style because it's it's the end of the season. The starters are not needing to play forty minutes, but it's a beautiful. It's been beautiful to watch. The ball is flinging around the floor. Um, it's picking up energy. Different people are cutting, moving. It's beautiful to watch. So naturally, today, some of the Knicks have come out of the corners to say, "Ah, you know what? Trade Randall. We don't need Randall." Look at how much better we're playing without Randall. Clearly, the problem was Randall. I have my own thoughts on this matter. I am reminded of a certain turn-of-the-century similar scandal. Um, maybe you can allude to that as well and tell us, where do you fall right now? On Are you enjoying this? Is it fool's gold? Is this the way? I... Uh, I <laughs> that's a tough one. Uh, yeah, of course, we are all talking about the Ewing theory, the, 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 the great philosophical theorem created by Bill Simmons. I think it was, you know, according to, I think he wrote about it in the book of basketball. It was a few years. It was, it right was around the 99 finals, around. right? He was it talking was the about 99 that. run. That he wrote about it. And I think his, yeah, his friend, I don't know, bug or e-bug or, or Steve or cousin house or somebody <laughs> cousin house or cousin bug was came up with this theory it wasn't his himself that that the the Knicks offense throughout Patrick Ewing's career here it consistently it consistently they would it got stagnant with Ewing they would throw the ball into Ewing in the post and uh there wouldn't be a ton of off-ball movement or let alone cuts or and, and Ewing was famously not great at kicking the ball to the perimeter or anywhere really out of double teams. There's, a, there's in Jack McCallum's book actually about the dream team. He talks about how Michael Jordan during one late night, I think they were saying it like, like he and a bunch of other guys are staying up late playing cards or pool or something like that. And he like bird and Ewing were known to hang out together and they weren't playing pool and just started tearing into Ewing and saying he would never win a championship until he learned how to properly kick the ball out of double teams. And this was in 1992. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, it was good natured ribbing. They were busting mm -hmm. each other's chops, but Jordan identified that as early as the summer of 92. And if you were watching Knicks games, then you could identify it either. It wasn't, he was not uh a particularly talented passer, nor did he seem inclined to, especially, you know, look, when he was such a gifted low post scorer and, and shooter, there's good reason. There's an argument to me that, yeah, he, he probably should just turn away from that double and shoot that fade away from, from 18 feet in the corner. But mm -hmm. in 99, Ewing was already, he was now, you know, a couple of years removed from the Andrew Lang injury, which cost him all the 80s, mm -hmm. the 97, 98 season. And he really never, his shooting dramatically declined and his mobility had was his mobility and his ability to like move on the court had been a, had been in a steady decline if we're being honest since about 1990. Yeah. But by 99, he was just, uh, he was pretty immobile. And mm -hmm. so without Ewing and, and whether it was playing Chris Dudley more or going with even, you know, Kurt Thomas as a small ball center or Marcus Camby at center, they ran. The Knicks were a fast break team with Spree and, and Allen Houston and Chris Childs and Charlie Ward. Oops. And they were considerably better without Ewing at that point. I get the impetus for fans to have the exact same reaction over the last couple of games with Randall out. 
the Cleveland game would probably be the best proof of concept that, that this is actually real because they, you know, even without Jared Allen in the game, they were facing a, an excellent defense and they lit them up. I might also say that if Isaac Okoro was around, he might've given uh, Brunson a little bit yeah. more trouble than he had. So that I think was also a big factor, but still they're doing some, like Pete Carroll Princeton backdoor cuts off Hartenstein. And to me, I, I, it's, it's delightful. I, I, I love watching that. I think it's fool's gold though. I really think, I do not think you can, you can, Julius Randall, his ability to draw double teams and his ability to, you know, pick out, to, to pass out of those double teams as well. Julius's processing speed as an offensive hub, it comes and goes, but when he's on, he is he can absolutely play with a system predicated on more ball movement and more cutting and more, you know, and, and better spacing and less static isolation. I don't think you want to mm-hmm. give up those ISO shots for Julius. I think they are, those are quality shots a lot of the time, especially the ones he's taking this year, as opposed to two years ago when he was just, he was hitting impossible dirt floaters and, and things like that. And it was just not sustainable, but the, but the ISO shots he's getting now, it like having more minutes for Josh Hart as a power forward is not an improvement over what they've got in Randall. But I believe me, I understand the impetus. I want Julius to be watching this and seeing that you know he can still get a lot of points and a lot of buckets if he cuts all of those moments where he pounds the ball into the ground out of his diet. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. On the other hand, maybe it's as simple as you know what. When the second team comes in during a playoff series, you just go and you blitz opponents and you run them off the court. Just because it's not going to be 48 minutes of that once the playoff starts, assuming Julius Randle is healthy, which is definitely not given. It can, like, all of these things that they're showing, and don't, I mean, the Indiana game, there was a lot of fun stuff, but, you know, it was a glorified scrimmage pretty much. So I wouldn't take too much from that. But, like, all the things that the second unit has been doing for the last two months those are transferable to playoff basketball. You can absolutely keep keep doing all that. And, and that's really, really fun. Um, so, yes, I get it. I wouldn't necessarily be looking to trade Julius Randle just yet, though. I don't <laughs> think that's the, that's the right conclusion to take from all this. I just love that the, the reality of being a Knicks fan now as opposed to 25 years ago is that 25 years ago, maybe there's a conflict between a sentimentality towards Ewing. Like you were saying in the late 90s, like Ewing was immobile. After the lag injury, he would never had the same touch. And by that point, they had finally put other players around him, particularly in Houston and Sprewell, that he didn't need to yeah. handle that whole load. And now here, before the season, before the playoffs have even begun, we're, t- <laughs> we're looking at our all-NBA forward and being like, I guess we don't need to trade him. I guess <laughs> I, I've been I'm wrong just... about. I, I have been wrong about Julius Randle on every step of his nature. Everybody nature. has. You have by definition I, anyone who has ever said year, anything about Julius Randle has been wrong at uh, least twice. When they signed him in, uh, when they signed him after Durant and and mm-hmm. Irving decided to take their talents to uh, Atlantic Avenue, right? Um, I, I was very excited about that. I yeah. I thought, oh, cool. You know, look, he's a downhill power forward. He, he's, a, he's excellent in transition. He really is a boy to the lane. I liked the little glimpses of creativity that he was showing even in New Orleans that year. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's cool. Okay, that's a good signing. I like Julius Randle. Great. And he was 
god awful that year. And and I was begging them when once they drafted Obi Toppin that summer, I was begging them. I was like, trade him for pennies on the dollar, give him away, get his contract Mike off the Green, team. Mike Green had called him out during games, which is when you know yeah. you have transgressed. Oh boy, there were in that night in that 2019-20 season, there were. For fans who remember, there is one infamous Julius, uh, not Julius, sorry, Zach Randolph possession from, I believe, from the 2007-2008 from the Knicks, where, where he gets the ball in the post, has it knocked out of his hand, sort of fumbles with it, putzes around outside the three-point line, and then throws up just a, a, a colossal air ball. That's what you saw from Julius a lot. He would do these, like, he would just throw himself into four guys in the middle of the lane that year and, and, and turn the ball over like clockwork. He was awful. I wanted them to give him away that summer. I was like, okay, look, Obi Toppin, he's a plug-and-play starter. He's the most he's the most NBA-ready pick in the draft, I thought wrongly. Um, get, like, get Julius out of here so you can free up time for this guy who you just drafted. And I just want to say that I really did want Halliburton in that draft. I was right yep. about that. I wanted Halliburton. Um, <laughs> Halliburton or, or Devin Vassell, those are the guys I wanted them to take that year. Uh, yeah. But anyway, goes out in 2021 and is a monster. And then, I, and then they sign him to what seemed like a perfectly reasonable extension. I was like, great, great move. Julius is going to be a building block for this team moving for uh, Awful, got awful in 2021. The vibes could not have been less immaculate. And then once again, I thought to myself, okay, get rid of him. I don't care. Just take do, do him in a salary cap deal. Take him for Dav I said, what if Dallas wants him to go back to his hometown? Trade him for Davis Bertans or something like that. Or Luka Doncic. Like, yeah. yeah, <laughs> I, know, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I, it, so now that I'm thrilled with Julius again, I, I'm sure he's going to just absolutely, you know, crap the bit because that's just the way it goes. Uh, I, I don't like. I mean, uh, I, I think what. I, what so I mean, I think it. I think a big thing with Julius is, I do think it matters when he's not the hub of an offense. Um, I think it helped him honestly in twenty twenty. I haven't looked at the before after stats. He was better. He was he had improved before they got Derrick Rose, mm -hmm. but they, you know, they got Derrick Rose and. Um, he was, but he was doing. I don't know how he was putting up efficient numbers with Alfred Payton on the floor next to him. That was, I mean, that was um, he, the difficult work there. Of difficulty for those mid-range jumpers that he was taking that season because they were playing like, four on five. But but with yeah. Rose is different. And then last year, if I was to ask you a pop quiz, and I think you would probably know the answer to the question, there was one player <laughs> on I'm the entire team. <laughs> there was one player on the entire team who Randall had a positive net rating next to. Who was that? Well, I'm going to say it's Emmanuel Quickly. It's Emmanuel Quickly. Because, one, because yeah. he is like the good luck Chuck of this team. Everybody he is the plus-minus god. Emmanuel. Everyone has a positive plus-minus. But with Randall specifically, it was related to the fact that he needs someone. I don't want to say to get him his spots, because I think they're like, only Alfred Payton could give Randall the ball 18 feet from the hoop on the base. I think that was bullshit. But what I do think is that when the defense is not does not know that it's going to be a Randall post-up and everyone's going to stand around, that's what quickly yeah. gives you. That's what Brunson has given you too, right? Yeah. And that's what I think. I Rose mean, Julie, Randall, Randall has said as much. He said outright the difference in his game between this year and that year is, is that he doesn't have to, he isn't responsible for getting the offense into position and then also finding a shot. So Jalen Brunson is 
here and is getting him the ball where he wants it. Like, you know, he, he's the, 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 the long threes that he's taken most, I think most of them are still catch and shoot threes. He's not doing like as many step back threes as he did in 2020, 2021. And, and like there are, even if there's a gets the ball on the move. And, yeah. and that's, it's definitely much quicker decision-making where it wasn't like yeah. the, it wasn't the, it wasn't, sorry, like I'm not rip whatever your thoughts on Melo are. Melo was better at this style of game, but he did the Carmel Anthony yes. thing. He'd pump fake and then take two dribbles. And then he would take a long two, or it would be a three where it's like, well, guess what? Now you no longer have the element of, um, I don't want to say surprise, yeah. but like a closeout. So like, and, and Melo could get away with that because he was a much more talented shot maker. Randall isn't that. Because Melo was the best bucket getter in the league in like 2012 to 2014. That's not, it's not, what Randall is good at is that if you get down on them, they know that you're, they're done for. So if you leverage right. that threat, you're really good. Um, I do want to get back to what Matt was saying. While we're looking at some historical parallels, right? Passing sure. out of double teams. I do want to mention um, a team for which there was an HBO series recently which had arguably the greatest low post player of all time, certainly in that conversation, and the greatest point guard of all time uh, steps up there, but I'm going to keep with this guy for the sake of the conversation. <laughs> and they did one they, about the Sixers? They, yeah. I'm Embiid talking, and Harden? <laughs> I'm talking about Harden and Embiid. Wow. <laughs> that, Matt, you're going to get some ads on that Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The point is, um, you know, there was a coach Spicy. firing involved, but, you know, the, the Lakers were able to kind of get Kareem to adapt to a high-tempo style. Yeah. Is that, the, is that the best way forward for the Knicks? Because, one, I do agree, and I think, like, uh, Bob, you mentioned that, you know, if Okoro comes back, um, you know, that could change things on defense. I 100% yeah. agree. I also think that makes it even more imperative to get down the floor in transition because you have more of a chance of getting a mismatch. So the point is, like, like Brunson with a mismatch is gold. Quickly with yeah. a mismatch is pretty damn good. RJ with a mismatch is pretty damn good. Uh, like, if you get RJ and Garland, we'll take that too, by the way. Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Get that mouse in the house. So, so we, we need to, but like, and Randall is capable of it. Like, he had two months last the, year. Yes, I, I exact. I hear what you're saying that, like, if you, like, they have had a lot of offensive success this year, attacking in transition or secondary transition, getting you know people to their spots before the defensive set, defenses set, exploiting cross matches in transition, and the instinct to like push the tempo. Tibbs talked about that in the preseason. Also, there was that there was a photo taken from Tarrytown where there was like Nick's offensive principles, and mm. it, that was like up on the wall, and they were they were very silly. They were like. Offensive principles. Make sure you run a good offense. And it was it was kind of I, we. Is that I wrong? Wish I, had that, I wish I had that in front of more, me. More points. There, than there are there there are a couple of competing factors. The main the two reasons the Knicks I think are are have have a I think they're top four after that Indiana game that they're the fourth yeah. best offense in basketball. The it it has they've they've gotten. Excellent isolation scoring, mainly from Brunson, but also from Randall and to a lesser degree Barrett. But like, it's that they don't turn the ball over and they get offensive rebounds. And I don't know if pushing the tempo a lot mitigates some of the things that they've had success with. Now, if you want to say in the playoffs, 
you're going to be facing better defenses and the turnovers are going to come anyway. And you're going to be facing teams that are better rebounders. And so you're not going to have Mitch getting them, you know, like five to 10 extra shots per game. And so you need to take advantage of these other, you need to find other ways to get easy buckets. I'm there with you. But the foundation of this offense has really been built upon not turning the ball over, playing at a very slow, minimizing the total number of possessions in a game and not turning it over. So they tend to have a possession advantage night overnight, which can compensate for the, for the lack of like really strong outside shooting and the amount of space facing that would be ideal. Like a team with a, a, you cannot leave him alone shooter in place of RJ Barrett, like the spacing or even like a, a, a center who can, so they can spread the floor so that you can play five out, I think would open up so much up for both Brunson and, and Randall, but they don't have that. The reasons they're so good is because they are excellent in a couple of ways. And they, that's the formula that they've built. So yes, on the one hand, that's a kind of long way to say, yes, I agree with you, but you might, but I think it's something that you want to attack in, in doses. And I think that's why you keep going with the second, you use the second team again, to go back to history, like, you know, like the Hubie Brown teams that they used, like, you know, they ran with a 10 man unit and that 10 man unit was pressing and trapping. How, I mean, how far, so I think that, I think the the Hubie Brown 10 man unit is, is a, applicable uh, i think one of the more you know modern it's examples you know, trapped all the time yeah so you have those trapping lineups obviously golden state had the death lineup which they haven't really right. wanted to use for more than 10 15 minutes a game and really that in the postseason um so my contention has been this right like the biggest kind of think of it like nos right like sorry i, I grew up i was the fast and furious generation as a 12 year old um, so, but think of it like you're not upgrading <laughs> your team's engine much, but you're, you're, you know, you're, you're doing these things where for a short period of time, it can turn, it can change the tide. Right. So what I've been contending yeah, is that uh, like, it's Vin Diesel pushing the nitrous oxide button. I don't know. I didn't watch these movies. I'm, I'm out of my depth. <laughs> I don't have a basketball team. I have family. The, the point I'm making is okay. like, <laughs> instead of, instead of making the car better, you're like adding temporary boosts. Right. Right, and so ludicrous is coaching the Knicks, is what we're saying, and <laughs> he's going to. I think he's a Hawks fan. That might, that might first Tom Thibodeau ludicrous comparison there. He's a, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a I mean, rapper. I, that would make a lot of sense. I think are the Hawks the new Miami? As a '90s person, grew up on the '90s. I'll never be even know. That's like a an interesting, but like the point is what I've often thought about, and it's because because people have brought up the Don Mitchell thing. Like, should the Knicks push in for a star? And, like, is all of this meaningless? Mm-hmm. I mean, Stephen A is on this end that, like, the entire season is meeting meaningless unless they get a playoff series win, which, for all the reasons you could think of that, Donovan Mitchell should be the last one. But the point I'm making is that, you know, I've wondered, Josh Hart was a, if you don't want to say transformational, it was a very, it was a big catalyst, oh, right? He, oh, oh, no, you could say transformational. He has absolutely changed the quality. Like, so can, like, can they make... Can they make more moves than that? And one move I would, you know, can also they build the whole plane out of Josh Hart? Is what you're asking. That's that's what I'm asking. Or or like at least if your if your engine is Jalen Brunson and Randall, which might be, you know, not like the best engine, but like it can mm-hmm. get you there. But if you have like if you just optimize the aerodynamics with Josh Hart, and the the next piece that could be a Josh Hart type piece to me, and that is I think a four that could block shots, and also 
spread the floor. Because then if you have someone who can protect the rim and spread the floor, that allows you to play Randall and a small ball lineup. If you can play those two together... So you, 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 you unlocks, want, a, you, not, you not want Chris Epps then? You want Chris Epps Porzingis yeah, then? You want Chris Epps. I've like said that, that before. I've, I have said yeah. that, yeah. Something, I, I've, there I was, think, even before, when the, when the roles were flipped... When the, when Rand, we had when the Epps, Randall trade happened, every, like... A, uh, I think Zach Lowe said this. I know other people said this. They go, oh, that's that's ironically Nixie because nope. Julius Randle is the perfect floor, like power forward to play next to Chris Davis at center. Yes. That, that, but, that pairing he, makes an absolute ton of sense. I do think KP just got extended, so that might be tough. There's a guy, for Did example, he, there's a guy. No. Yeah. No. He, He's no, faking not it. Washington team. might extend him this offseason. Washington might extend him. He has not been extended yet. No. no, I think that's the kind of target I would go after. I mean, I don't know if would I trade RJ for him. I'm not completely out on RJ yet, but you know, if if some combination of Fournier, Rose, and like one or two picks, imagine giving up a, a top ten protected and a first for KP. <laughs> it would be full circle. Um, but um, but you know, like I, even in the, uh, <laughs> I I I I'm 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 in your voice, What? What, what? Your trepidation in your voice, but if if not, yeah. then someone like Jaron Jackson Jr. would be pretty optimal, right? There's a guy yes, named Hendricks nice. in this draft who's six nine. I have been I have I have been logging on to NBADraft.net. I know exactly who that is. I'm very excited about them. Maybe getting him at eleven if uh, a certain draft pick conveys. I'm and, I'm already on that. So, so let me ask you: Is that the kind of the, the kind of guy who can protect the rim and space the floor? Well enough to Randall, well enough for Randall to not have to worry about those things and do that for ten minutes a game. Do you think that that could put the Knicks over the edge, or you know, is that like a Josh Hart level? I move? think I, th I mean, yeah, that's that's the kind of fit they should be thinking about. I think we're I think we're too early to be thinking about the ways to upgrade this team until this playoff series has, has happened. I think it's I think, but regards to like your question about whether or not they should lean into a more up-tempo style in this upcoming series. I think it is a little bit late in the year to ask Julius Randle to significantly change what has worked, especially considering how uh, he is a, can we call him a volatile personality? Can we call him uh, tempestuous? Let's say that. Expressionist. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he, he, uh, he, he can get mad um, offline. A lot. Um, I, I don't. Th I mean, and even so, like you know, technical fouls or whatever and whatnot. You know, getting mad at quickly and all. But that it stuff. clearly affects so his I, game. That's the problem. It does. Him. I feel like he does. I feel like he needs to get a little pissed off before he starts having a really good game. He's one of those guys, like like Jordan. Kyle Kuzma agrees to, with you, by the way, about that. Yeah. He needs to have something to be mad at in the game, and that sets him off. And he does that where he does that, like. It can be something as simple as they aren't coming up to contest the first three-pointer that I shoot in the game, and therefore they're showing me disrespect, and so now I'm just going to keep hitting them. Um, mm -hmm. Fred Katz of The Athletic had a wonderful stat like that. Uh, before he went down, I think starting from December 4th, that the magical December 4th when they went to the nine-man rotation, yeah. that 70% of Julius Randle's first shots attempted were a three in a basketball game. Wow. He attempted like his first shot was a three seventy percent of the time, um, wow. which cool. He's been his his volume three point shooting has been incredibly necessary to the success of this. In any case, it goes a long way to say like I think that given the structure that they built and the way this team has functioned, it's a little bit 
making a dramatic change in terms of tempo is, I think, asking a lot of this squad, a squad that isn't playoff tested clearly, the, uh, that hasn't, you know, that that's really, that only started to find how all the pieces fit together once the Josh Hart trade came together. I think moving forward, yeah, let's all these options should be thrown into the lab and they should see what and and is you know, in terms of like whether you're not what the guy is that you might add, try to add to this roster, whether you're going to consolidate a couple of the young players and try to get one more star. I think, but I think you're the great thing is I, you can honestly say right now that the Knicks are one top fifteen guy away from being a legitimate like title like title contender. You get the right star to pair with Brunson, they are a title contender. Um, whether that includes Julius Randle or not is a question. I think it absolutely, in many of those scenarios, it does. It depends on the guy that they go after. In my heart of hearts, I'm hoping that the Sixers flame out completely and somehow maybe Joel Embiid decides that he doesn't want to play in Philadelphia anymore. But that would be the floor spacing, rim protecting guy that I would like to get. Um, there is no indication that you don't think, you think he's there is, I think he's a little better. Yeah. I think he's a little bit better. Uh, the other guy, if we're just, if we're just like reading our Christmas wish list, the other guy that I would, that I would want them to get is, uh, Jim Butler. Hmm. Yeah. In place of RJ. Like would, yeah. Would you take like, if the trade is RJ and Toppin and a protected first for Jimmy Butler, does Miami say yes? I think Miami says yes. It's a rough contract. That's the thing. So what is but it? If it, if, if it gets you a ring, it's, it's forty um, million. It's forty million for like the next. It's forty. All the next other good players are not on max deals. That's their advantage. You're not adding yeah. a max. Although they did, they, they, they did remove yeah. the max deal principle from the new CBA, so that's less. Do they have IQ's bird rights? Can't they go over the cap to sign IQ if they want to? It, it doesn't matter once the new work? CBAs. Yeah, yeah, they still can. They're not going to give them a match. That's not the issue. It's the point that like they're going to be no. Uh, uh, just if we're if we're talking predictions though, IQ's contract is going to be in the neighborhood of what Jordan Poole gotten, and he deserves it. It's going to be like something like four one forty. It's going to be closer to one forty than people are going to realize. I think it's going to be that high. Or I think. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.